Okay, I'll go first. I'll play a land, and I'll play a turn one. Soul ring. Soul ring. Soul ring. <laughs> Soul ring. Soul ring. Uh, Soul ring. Soul ring. Hello, and welcome to Turn One Soul Ring, a commander podcast. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff on this podcast, including deck techs, commander reviews. We're also just going to talk about general Magic the Gathering news. My name is Trent, and I'll be your host for this episode. For our first episode, we're diving into one of my absolute favorite commander decks of all time. If you're a big fan of politics, which at the commander table is extremely common, then you're probably going to really enjoy this deck. It's very politically charged, but it's also incredibly dangerous. When you put this deck into the right hands, it can absolutely demolish a board state, or it can hold them in hand as a threat to leave you alone and to eventually give you the win, essentially either by default, or they haven't touched your stuff, so they're going to have to deal with it when you attack with a ton of flyers. We hope you've got a very nice shiny crown handy, because you're going to need it. The commander of this deck is the ruthless monarch, Queen Marchesa. Queen Marchesa is a 3-3 legendary creature, human assassin for one red, white, black. She has death touch and haste. When Queen Marchesa enters the battlefield, you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, if an opponent is the monarch, put a 1-1 black assassin creature token with death touch and haste onto the battlefield. So you can build Queen Marchesa in many different ways. My deck, and the way I decided to build the deck, is a political strategy. It's aimed at encouraging my opponents to attack each other while I assemble a board state that can win through a massive alpha strike or a more rare win con of using a redirection spell when an opponent can outmaneuver my defenses. I use the monarch status as a card advantage engine, which can be easily maintained thanks to the large amount of pillow fort that the deck utilizes. If an opponent is the monarch, the deck does contain a decent amount of evasive creatures that can take it back easily. Like I said, lots of flyers. My assassins have death touch and haste. There is a ton of ways to get back Monarch in this deck because they're not going to chump block their huge 6-6 creature into a 1-1 with death touch and haste. They'd rather just take the one damage and give you back the Monarch, and that's generally how this is going to work. This podcast is going to aim to show you how the deck works in the early, mid, and late game. So, let's start with the early game. Get Monarch and Keep Monarch is the name of the game in the early game with this deck. See, the main goal of the deck in the early game is to begin building your fortress. Since Queen Marchesa only costs 4 mana, it's incredibly easy to get her out fast and get the Monarch status in the game quickly. So, it's imperative that the deck can assemble a way to maintain that status as early as possible. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck trying to get the Monarch back all game. People have cheap creatures. People have not only cheap creatures, but cheap creatures with haste. So, they're going to attack you if you're the Monarch. You're going to get targeted. So, if you don't have a way to deter that, you're going to be stuck just taking damage over and over and over again. And you're not really going to advance your game state all that much. 
And when you don't have the Monarch, you're going to go through the game with much less cards in hand because you're losing access to that valuable card draw engine. You can also use the early game as a way to begin making friends. For example, the deck contains some cheap artifacts, such as Victory Chimes, that give any player one mana. And in some cases, one mana of any color of their choosing. So you can use that as a political tool. One of my favorite ways to do this is if I play the Victory Chimes, which untaps every turn, by the way, I can look at a buddy of mine and say, hey, look, I, I see that you're running short on mana. You know, he's missed a couple land drops. I'll help pay for this next spell as long as whatever you play with that spell doesn't affect me or affect my board state. So give them that choice because by making friends and allies in the early game, you could be setting yourself up for a huge win later on. Using those political tools in the early game as a way to help your opponents get their resources going will simultaneously slow everybody down because the deck contains a lot of enchantments that involve slowing down your opponent's resources. Let's go over some key early game cards. Probably the best turn one drop in the entire deck, Land Tax. Land Tax costs one white mana, for an enchantment, at the beginning of your upkeep, if an opponent controls more lands than you, you may search your library for up to three basic land cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle. Really, really strong early game card. It's easy ramp. You're not running any green in this deck, so it's imperative that you get lands quickly. And I think land tax ensures that you're never going to miss your land drops for the rest of the game. It's an incredibly strong card, and... Your opponents are going to see that, so be careful when you play it, but it's incredibly strong. The second card I want to go over is Blind Obedience. It's one in a white for an enchantment with Extort. So whenever you cast a spell, you may pay white or black. If you do, each opponent loses one life and you gain that much life. And it also says Artifacts and Creatures Your Opponents Control entered the battlefield tapped. The point of this card in the early game is that it slows down the opponent's ramp and their aggressive creatures, which gives them a turn off, basically. The chip damage and the life game from Extort can also add up over the course of the game. I have multiple cards that say creatures enter tapped, non-basic lands enter tapped with Thalia, Heretic, Cathar, or Authority of the Consoles, right? But Blind Obedience is my favorite because it hits artifacts and creatures, and those are the most important resources in any early game commander matchup. Another card that's really, really strong in the early game is Esper Sentinel. It's one white mana for a 1-1 artifact creature human soldier. It says whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn, you draw a card unless that player pays X, where X is Esper Sentinel's power. So, Extra card draw in the early game is excellent. Doesn't matter what deck you're playing. You could be playing green and play a very early Sylvan Library. You are advancing your game state faster by default. And that's what Esper Sentinel does for this deck. It advances our state by giving us more cards every turn. However, it is a target. Almost always, my Esper Sentinel will be removed by my opponents because they know the power level of this card. So if you play an Esper Sentinel, do expect it to be removed quickly. Otherwise, they're just going to keep giving you free cards. Of course, you're not going to complain if they do that, but it's still something to watch out for. 
The last card I want to go over for the early game is Ghostly Prison. It's two in a white for an enchantment. Creatures can't attack you unless their controller pays two generic mana for each creature they control that's attacking you. Cards like this are incredibly important in the deck because it forces your opponents to pay taxes in order to attack you. And most of the time, unless they have large reserves of mana to sink into this ability, they're just not going to attack you, which ensures that you're going to stay the monarch through a decent portion of the matchup. It's an excellent ability. It's super cheap. It protects you. And of course, it encourages battle too between opponents because those aggressive decks, they're not going to pay the two mana per creature to attack you. They want to use their creatures to attack somebody else. And that's exactly the point of this card. There are other cards with similar abilities in the deck. I'll name a few of them here. Kosekun Falls, Windborn Muse, which is just Ghostly Prison on a stick, Norn's Annex, which is a little less effective because players can just pay two life per creature instead of one white mana, but it still serves a purpose and Archangel of Tithes. One of my favorite creatures in the deck, it's a flyer that states that while it's untapped, creatures your opponent's control have to pay one mana per creature, and while it's tapped, creatures can't block unless they pay one mana per blocking creature. So that's an interesting card, and I think that's pretty good, but Ghostly Prison being one of the cheaper versions of this effect, meaning that it's probably one of the best cards you can set up in the early game. Let's move on to the mid-game, Disruption and Politics. By the mid-game, the deck is designed to have built up a lot of ways for opponents to be encouraged to attack other players and their boards with their removal. However, you are not going to fool everyone, okay? This deck is oppressive, and people at the table will notice that you are building a wall. So, there's always going to be people who will attempt to get rid of your walls and destroy your monarchy. But that's why the deck contains a ton of targeted removal, such as Mortify, Hero's Downfall, Dreadbore, Path to Exile, and Swords to Plowshares. Now, if they do get through, and they end up board wiping, and wiping out your royal army, perhaps they'd enjoy having it happen to them back. The deck does contain three board wipes, that being Wrath of God, Damnation, and Merciless Eviction. Now, there are a ton more board wipes. In fact, I think that this deck is lacking in the board wipe department. A Blasphemous Act would be an excellent include in this deck. So, if you do want to add a fourth, maybe even a fifth board wipe, may I consider Blasphemous Act and Damn, which is a sorcery out of Modern Horizons 2 that is either single target removal or you can overload it for two white white and destroy all creatures they can't be regenerated, just like what Wrath of God does. You can use the threat of single target removal and board wipes as a means to an end. Let's say your opponent has a massive board they have comboed off in the mid game and they could kill someone right now. You could say, listen, I'm holding removal in my hand to get rid of your dude. Believe me, I will do it if you attack me. What was that that Josh Lee Kwai once said on an episode of Game Nights? He said that if you make a threat, you should follow through with your threat. That way people know 
that you mean business and that they are more likely to follow what you say. So if you make a threat, follow through with it if they do the thing. Because that way they know you're not messing around. I believe in that same episode he said, I'm going to treat this Aetherflux Reservoir as Europe. If anyone goes after it, I'm going to launch the nuclear weapons. If they don't want their massive creature removed, perhaps they should attack someone else. Let's take a look at some key mid-game cards in this deck. First up, we've got Linvala, Keeper of Silence. Two white-white for a 3-4 legendary creature angel with flying. Activated abilities of creatures your opponents control can't be activated. This is huge in the mid-game because a lot of people are trying to set up combos. They're trying to set up a huge board state. Maybe they have a creature that pumps all their other creatures by tapping some mana and tapping the creature. Well, by doing this, it forces your opponent to remove it before proceeding with their game plan. So it buys you time and can help you get the Monarch back because it is a flyer and it does have that form of evasion. Second card I want to go over is Head Games. Three black black, so five mana, for a sorcery. Target opponent puts the cards from their hand on top of their library. You then search that player's library for that many cards. That player puts those cards into their hand, then shuffles. This is really, really good against decks that have massive boards, and all they're doing is missing a piece. Or the combo player who has two pieces of their combo on the board, and perhaps they just tutored for their last piece of combo. You could just say, okay, you didn't play it? Beautiful. You can use head games and replace their whole hand. You can also use head games as a tactic when a player dismantles your board. Because if a player dismantles your board and you take away all of the valuable cards in their hand as a response... That is a threat tactic that you can use as an example from previously. Another devastating mid-game card is No Mercy. Two black black for an enchantment. Whenever a creature deals damage to you, destroy it. That's any damage. If the creature has effect damage, it's destroyed. If it attacks you and deals damage to you, it's destroyed. It's a deterrent from players who want to go wide or alpha strike someone to death because they know that if they can't kill you on this attack, they're losing most of their board. So it incentivizes them to have to spread out the damage so that they don't lose as much. No Mercy is actually being reprinted in Dominaria Remastered. This card's incredibly hard to get a hold of, but with Dominaria Remastered coming out, this card is going to be much more accessible, and I highly recommend it in this deck. One of my pet cards in the deck, so one of my absolute favorite cards, is Virtus's Maneuver. It's two and a black for a sorcery. For each player, including yourself, choose friend or foe. Each friend returns a creature card from their graveyard to their hand. Each foe sacrifices a creature they control. This is yet another politics tactic, but it's usable in the mid to late game to take care of problem opponents by turning other opponents against them. You can look at the massive green player and go, hey, I see that Protean Hulk in your graveyard that was milled. I'll let you have it back and you can combo off as long as none of the Protean Hulk pieces 
come towards me. Or let's say, for example, there's a huge threat on board, like a shieldred that's forcing you to sacrifice your creatures all the time. Just use Virtus's maneuver. It's an excellent way to get rid of it. The last card I want to go over in the mid-game is Council's Judgment. One white-white for a sorcery. It has Will of the Council. So starting with you, each player votes for a non-land permanent you don't control. Exile each permanent with the most votes or tied for most votes. The easiest way to use this card to your advantage is to tell the players, hey, there are multiple problem cards on this board. We all know this. Let's each vote for one. Then the last player has two options. They can vote for something else and then destroy four things, or they can vote for one thing and get rid of it. So it forces them into a situation where they have to choose between either getting rid of three of their best permanents or choosing between them. It's a really, really difficult position, especially if we're targeting combo pieces, because they have to have a way to get that combo piece back. So let's say you've gone through the game, your opponents have been attacking each other, you've been drawing cards off the Monarch, you've targeted, removed a few things here and there, and heck, you even have a decent amount of flyers on the board, say from a Luminarch Ascension, or you just have big flyers like Hunted Dragon, or like I said, Lin Vala, Keeper of Silence. Well, once your opponents have thoroughly beaten each other to near death, you can use that opportunity to win the game through combat. There are many ways to accomplish this in this deck. The first is using a multitude of attackers with either Curse of Bloodletting or Gisela Blade of Gold Knight to overrun your opponents. The second is to use Molten Primordial to take everyone's best creatures for yourself and swing out at everyone. The third is to goad every creature on the board so your opponents can fight over who is left before you poke whatever is left with whatever is on your board for the win. However, there is another great way to win, and that's my chosen MVP of the deck, Deflecting Palm. I've won so many games with this card, and it usually happens when one person is left, and they either attack you with a massive creature, or they use a massive spell, such as a Comet Storm. Just tap a red and a white source and send them to their doom. It's absolutely amazing. And I had one guy actually question why I ran Deflecting Palm at all. That's the reason why I run Deflecting Palm. Here are the key late game cards. And we're pretty much just going to go over everything that I just went over. Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight. Four red, white, white. So seven mana total for a 5-5 five, five legendary creature angel with flying and first strike. If a source would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent an opponent controls, that source deals double that damage to that player or permanent instead. But if a source would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent half that damage rounded up. I don't think I need to explain why this card is a game ender. Half damage to you, double damage to your opponents, kill them dead. Easy peasy. The second is Molten Primordial. Five red red, so again seven mana total for a 6-4 creature avatar with haste. When Molten Primordial enters the battlefield, for each opponent, 
gain control of up to one target creature that player controls until end of turn. Untap those creatures, they gain haste until end of turn. It's super devastating against opponents with huge creatures, because you're just going to take those huge creatures, they have haste, and they're going to swing. Bonus points if you steal a huge creature with evasion, such as flying, shadow, intimidate, whatever, or that big creature has trample, because no matter what, they're going to get in for a little bit of damage. The third, Disrupt Decorum, two red red, only four mana for a sorcery that says, goad all creatures you don't control. Goad is a mechanic that states, until your next turn, those creatures attack each combat if able, and attack a player other than you if able. By using this spell, your opponents are forced into an incredibly awkward spot. Now, I've won games with this card before, but it's really, really hard to do because if your opponents kill each other and it's down to you and another person, those creatures still have to attack if able. And they have to attack you because, again, attack a player other than you if able. They're not able to attack any other player but you, so they're forced to attack you. Make sure you get ready for Retribution after using this, because they also could have a way to kill you via non-combat means. And that's incredibly scary, because there's not a whole lot of damage reduction from spells in this deck. And it's also incredibly weak to counter magic. The final card, of course, we just talked about it. It's my absolute favorite card, the MVP of the deck, Deflecting Palm, red and white for an instant. The next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. If damage is prevented this way, Deflecting Palm deals that much damage to that source's controller. The only people that know about this card are players who have seen it coming. Everyone else, they don't see it coming until it's far too late. It's my favorite way to win in this deck. Yu-Gi-Oh players, it's Magic Cylinder. It's so amazing. And that's why I love Deflecting Palm so much. In closing, this deck has been one of my absolute favorite decks to play, and I've actually received a lot of compliments about the deck from players I've played with. They really enjoy the interaction that I have with the players, the political game, and a lot of the strategies that I use to win as well. The only thing I wish was different is, one, it's kind of low on board wipes. There's not really a whole lot of those. And its early game can be incredibly weak. Like I talked about earlier, if you're not setting up that wall and that card advantage engine really early in the game, you're going to fall further and further behind. There are ways to mitigate this with enchantments like Smothering Tithe, but again, if you don't get the mana, you're just going to end up losing quite easily. Overall, though, I really enjoy this deck, and if you enjoy a political game that sort of lets you spin the wheels of everybody's mind at the table, I think you'll enjoy this deck as well. The link to the full deck list can be found in this podcast description. You can also find there a link to my Patreon page where you can support the further creation of this podcast. Donating just a dollar per month will help me achieve this dream and you can get early access to this podcast 
a day before it's released. I also have a higher tier at $5 a month where you can get access to the Turn 1 Soul Ring Discord channel and you can play spell table games with everyone in the server, including me, if I'm available, of course. You can also find me on Twitter and YouTube at BeanieGuy2112. Leave me some suggestions on what to talk about next, any subjects you wish to hear me discuss on Turn 1 Soul Ring. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of Turn 1 Soul Ring, a Commander podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this deck tech, and may your top decks be sick. Bye, everyone. <laughs>